Thank you, Ashley. Thankful for Ashley Claiborne and her leadership. Thankful for her husband, Ryan, as they uh, continue to lead here at Lindsay Lane. And um, again, we are... You got it? <laughs> Tony's giving away the godly chicken card. Noble, noble, Tony. I hear you, man. We are... Uh, I'm excited about the um, the Twist and Turn series, and truly, many of you have children in the uh, ministry. Many of you will be serving it uh, best week ever, and uh, I'm, I'm excited about this, honestly, because it will give you the preview of the teaching before we ever get there, and the conversations that come uh, out of that, you'll be prepared for as uh, you were here before the Word of God, and I'm um, I think there are some that would think that uh, we should just call it Vacation Bible School. And there will be times when you do call it Vacation Bible School because people will ask you what that means. When you say best week ever, and you'll say, well, it's, it's, it's a Vacation Bible School. And they'll be like, oh, okay. Uh, but then I would also suggest to you that many of the words that we use, and I said this the first time I think we were here, uh, many of the words that we use sometimes in church is very insider language, um, like vestibule. I think the only time I've ever heard the word vestibule is in the church. And, uh, like, I remember growing up in the church, if somebody was, hey, would you go get uh, your grandmother's uh, raincoat? It's in the vestibule. Well, where in the world is that, right? So, um, but, but it even goes deeper than that. And so it, it is a good week. I always mention this because I'm super just impressed by it. But Tim Anderson, that's the uh, pastor at Clemens Baptist Church, he was saved at Vacation Bible School. He gives testimony to that all the time. And uh, I remember being in vacation Bible school myself, and or best week ever. See, I've got to change my own language. Um, but I'm excited about it, and it's a huge week in the life of a church that our church is dedicated to and uh, many others. So uh, tonight, if you have your Bibles, you can turn them to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. As you're turning there, the main idea of the message tonight is just that Jesus is holy. And to know that, it changes everything. Uh, there is a country song as you are turning there and finding Luke chapter 5 there's a country song I can't remember exactly who the um, who sings it but but the words even say you're holy 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 I'm high on loving you uh, and that's that's recent country song it's new country song and like every, I like country music but like every time I hear that I'm like come on now like that's that's that word is reserved Amen. Like that, that word is, is reserved. You can tell somebody that you love them without calling them holy. And the truth is, is that I know my wife and my wife knows me. We need a holy God because neither one of us are holy, right? So, so when I hear that, I want you to hear my heart there that that, that terminology is reserved for the one true God. That terminology is reserved for Jesus, our Savior. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse Three, the, the prophet Isaiah saw the Lord enthroned in heaven. In a vision, he, he saw Jesus enthroned in heaven. Angelic beings were attending to him as royal robe, as the royal robe of Jesus filled the temple. And the expressions of those seraphim around the temple was holy, holy, holy. The emphasis being repeated three times is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now, borrowing from Sunday, Jesus is elevated to the place of highest honor right now. That place is, is reserved for the affections of our heart and all the hearts of those who would believe in him. So Isaiah gets this vision 
of Jesus on the throne and that he is holy, holy, holy. And then when he sees Jesus, it sets in on his heart of who he is upside Jesus, right? In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, the prophet within the vision has a whole life moment of clarity. Like it all comes full circle of who he is and who he's not. He's in the presence of God, and God is wholly different than himself. And today I spent some time looking for images that would reflect Isaiah chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. And like this is like the best that I've seen, and it's not even really that good. Because I don't know about you, but because when I read through the verses, I begin to have this picture in my mind of what that would look like, and I'm, I'm certain that it just pales in comparison to what he saw. But when Isaiah sees the temple and sees the Lord and the seraphim and holy, holy, holy is their cry, he notices that God is altogether perfect, separate and unique from all sin, and because of this, he, God, Jesus, is wholly different than anything or anyone he has ever experienced. And knowing the holy presence of God does not compromise with sin, Isaiah then feels that his existence is just forfeited. It's, it's over with. That, that is the response to being in the presence of God. And then he says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, he says, It's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Well, the Apostle Peter also had this clarity encounter with God himself. And it's there in Luke chapter 5, and it shows us the very moment when Peter realized the holiness of Jesus and how it just changed everything in his life. Now, when you arrive in Luke chapter 5, Jesus' ministry was just becoming wildly known. He had been preaching with all authority, powerfully teaching in the synagogues. He had cast out evil spirits by the command of his voice. He healed the sick. And though he was not accepted in his hometown, crowds of people were searching for him everywhere he went. But it's here in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus takes on those who would go with him everywhere he went. And in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. And he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. The boat that Jesus chose to preach from belonged to Simon Peter. And if you turn back to chapter 4, you will notice that Jesus had just healed Simon's mother-in-law from a very high fever. The Bible says that Jesus rebuked her fever and it left. Amen? As he has power over the physical world. So when Jesus asked Simon Peter for a boat to preach from, it wasn't a cold call from an unknown person. There was a previous experience with the power of God that, that Peter had been upside. And Peter at least had an obligation to do what was right because Jesus had healed a member of his family. But at most, he was honored to have Jesus step in the boat. To have Jesus in his boat teaching with the authority of God to the people that were listening. Standing in his boat that he had asked him to move out into the water. Now... Thinking about that request, sometimes we see things in Scripture like everybody is just having a moment of clarity like Isaiah. 
Isaiah's in the presence of God. I'm filthy. I'm undone, unclean, whatever you want, O Lord. Well, the scripture says that the boat belongs to Peter, that Peter is the owner of the boat, it says in verse 3. This means that he had the option to decline the request of Jesus. To, to take his boat over, to, to move the boat where Jesus said to go. He's the owner of it. Yet Jesus asked him for the platform of teaching from what he owned. Now, Simon, along with others, were just finishing up their work. They were just getting off shift. They, they honestly had not even clocked out yet because the Bible says that they were washing their nets. Now, I want you to think of it this way. You are in your office or you're in your classroom or wherever you work for, for your vocation, you are there, and all of a sudden, Jesus knocks at your door, comes in and says, I need to use your space for a while. No matter what you've got going on. And you stand up and you're like, uh, okay. And as soon as he takes his position, wherever you're working, numbers of people just file into your office, your classroom, wherever you are. If you're working from home, people are just coming inside of your house. He takes his position wherever is your residence of business, and he begins to teach. Jesus comes into the office of the fisherman, and it was like, stop what you're doing. I need the time. I need the space, and I even need your property to teach from. You see, when you think of it this way, Peter is giving up. He is surrendering his possessions. He is surrendering his time for pressing work of the Lord. There are uh, options here for Peter's response. He, he could have said no in his personal responsibility. He, he has not, at this point, he has not left everything to follow Jesus. That has not come. That comes later in chapter 5. He could have requested Jesus in the crowds, y'all come back later, I'm still washing my net. We've just gotten off work. Let us, let us have an hour to rest, and then you come back. He could have simply declined because he didn't want people using his stuff. Now, that's going to preach to somebody in here. Lord, I'm going to let you use it, I reckon. Right? I mean, I, had a, I remember a guy that was preaching one night, and he was talking about how he was in a, as a pastor of a church, he was in a literal argument for something that a, a lady had bought for a classroom in the church. Bought it, gave it to the church, set it up in the corner, and later on in years, he was like, thank you so much. We need to move that because it's affecting the way that we do things. We need to move that here. And she was like, no, not going to happen. And he said, well, ma'am, in, in order for us to get this done in this facility, that that you have given to the church is going to have to move. He said, it belongs to the church. She said, oh, no, it belongs to me. He said, no, ma'am, it belongs to the church. And just like this, he stopped and he went, she still didn't let us use it. Just like that. He's like, she still didn't let us use it. And I'm like, what happened, right? But we get that way with our stuff, with our home, with our vehicles. We get that way with our time and our resources. That belongs to us. It's going to take a movement of God to get me to turn my grip off of this so that somebody can use it or for us to welcome people into this place. See, Peter had that option. He could have declined because that's his boat. Because he said, Lord, you're going to have to find, you can go to the other boat. There's one sitting right there. Didn't want his property there. He could have declined because he was tired after working all night, the scripture says. His time and property, the things that he holds dear, were at the request of the Lord. Yet Simon surrendered and gave it to Jesus. 
for him to use for the glory of God and the good of man because he was gaining what? A better understanding of who Jesus is. When you learn and grow in Christ, which is a part of you being here tonight, right? You're studying the Bible in the middle of your week so that God can get in the middle of your heart. When you grow in Christ, you grow in the things of God. You grow in submission to God. I know for me, even in my own life and then talking to others that are on fire for the Lord, that are growing for the Lord, that have grown to the Lord, you reach this place where you understand what God has done for you. You know who you are in Christ. Your identity is changing. And then what happens next is people get an overwhelming sense of wanting to join Jesus on mission. I want to do something, right? It goes from their heart to their hands to their feet. Now I've got to be a part of this. I've got to be a part of Best Week Ever. I need to be a part of service. Just the other night on Saturday night, I got to go and take in a worship service at Lindsay Lane North. Y'all just had people all over the place. Easter Sunday is a good day for the church, amen, the church in general. And Lindsay Lane was no different as multitudes of people were in, in front of preaching at Lindsay Lane. And Lindsay Lane North was no different. And I'm there on a Saturday night. They had a Saturday night service, and I take it in, and it was awesome. I mean, it was so good. Worship was great. Alan was preaching great. The whole thing, visitors, and they were welcoming people all over the place. It was wonderful. And I left there jealous wanting to preach the next day. You see what I'm saying? Because, like, if, if this is taken away from me today, and this is not about me, but I've all got my experiences if this is taken away, if my voice is taken away from me today, then I'll still want to preach tomorrow. For God has gotten to my heart. And, and because he's gotten to my heart, now he's going to get to my hands and get to my feet. And so this is what you see that's happening here to Peter. He is beginning to grow closer to who Jesus is. And because he is, all of a sudden, he doesn't view his boat like he once did. He doesn't view his time like he once did. Because he has figured out that life revolves more around Jesus than it does him. Amen? The closer we draw to Jesus, the more understanding we have of his ministry. The more understanding we have of his mission. The more we understand of our responsibility to that ministry, to that mission. There are times when it would be easier to say no. There are times when it would be easier to say no to an opportunity here, there, elsewhere. But the more I draw near to the Lord, the clearer the times I know when he wants my office, so to speak. When he is knocking on the door of my heart to use what we say that we have that's been allowed for us to have by the grace of God. Now, here's just some questions for you to consider after this first point of submission, surrendering. Has there ever been a time when the Lord requested your time for his mission? Has there ever been a time when the Lord has requested your resources, your time, for his mission. Specifically, just getting specific here, I know that there are people that I have talked to before that have told me, if God wants me to go on mission to there, basically they're telling me, I'm not going. Right? Our missions pastor laughing. He's like, y'all quit telling me that. No, I'm just kidding. But, but there, there are times when we, when we entertain something that's going to affect our time, resources, comfort level, Really, we are holding on to what we feel is most important to where we turn the volume down on even the voice of God. Can he not move us? I'm just telling you, this is what's going on in my life and my heart right now. Can God not move me from the place of maturity that I am to a greater place of maturity? 
Can God move me to the place of service that I am in to a greater place of service for his glory and his kingdom? And so think about that in your own life. As the Lord said, why don't you offer your fill in the blank? Has the Lord ever gotten on to you about that? Has he ever given that to you? Why don't you offer your fill in the blank? And how did you respond to that? If we were to list on a whiteboard up here today and just one by one around the room, a list of everything in the room that could be surrendered to the Lord for use upon his request, what would you put on that list that belongs to you? What would you put on that list that if the Lord said, I want that and I need that for this purpose, what would you add to that list? And would we offer it up? If we move on to Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 5, we'll see the submission. Verse 4 says that when he had finished speaking, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. Now, after Jesus controlled the time and the setting, <laughs> I want you to think about this as you study the scripture. After Jesus had just gone to Peter, who had just gotten off work, who was just washing his nets and not even finished yet, after Jesus spends time preaching and ministering to people, he then controls more time from Peter as Peter is there in the boat with him and instructs Peter to go back to work, right? And one would think to themselves, now Jesus is, is stepping out right here. Jesus is really demanding a lot. And, and it would almost seem, if you study it this way, it would seem inconsiderate. But let me show you this. God is never inconsiderate. Do you know why? Because he's all-knowing. He's already considered it. There's really nothing to consider when you know everything that will happen. He knows where the fish are. He knows what the response will be. You're never inconsiderate if you're all-knowing. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Peter might have thought to himself, I know he can fix a fever, but I know I've done more fishing than Jesus. Right? I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, sometimes we look in and we see Peter and think, it was only holy thoughts, only holy thoughts. What would you think? And what would we think? Even growing to know the Lord, it would, would, would we not think the same thing? Like, I know that I've got more experience casting a net than Jesus has. And so because he's asking me to go back out there again, I've been fishing all night. All night is where you're going to catch them anyways, and I didn't catch them the last night. And besides, we've already washed our nets. And now Jesus is going to take up more of my time and send me out to cast the net once again. And in fact, you see that in his reply there in chapter 5, verse 4, when he says, now go out where it's deeper, let the nets down to catch some fish. Master, this is a response of feeling and a response of rejection. We've worked hard all last night and did catch a thing. Now, I think it's important because what you see here in Luke chapter 5 is the real human tension between what we feel and what we believe. It's right there in that very verse. This happens every time our faith is challenged. This happens every time the Spirit of God is drawing us to trust the Lord about anything. It's that balance between what we feel and what we believe. Sometimes it's the war between what we feel and what we believe. Peter is tired. His confidence in the catch is very low because he was cleaning a net that only had seaweed in it. 
Like he hasn't caught anything at all. There are surely questions that he wants to ask of the Lord. He, he Surely in his heart and mind, at least, he wants to protest. But then again, but then again, what happens next is, is that Peter calls him what? Master. He calls him master. And he had just heard him teach with all this authority. He had been sitting under a sermon for the last however long. And y'all know how we get, man, we're ready to charge hell with a water pistol right after Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And we're fired up because we've heard a sermon from the word of God and the spirit of God's been on us the entire time. Yet still there's this this struggle between I'm tired, my feeling, and what I want to do and what Jesus wants me to do. He calls him master, and not to mention having heard a sermon, but also that he had seen and heard Jesus exercise power over the spiritual world, over the physical world. He had heard at least of him casting out demons and evil spirits. He had seen his mother-in-law, who was one sick, who is, is now well at the power of Jesus. So what does Peter do between rejection and acceptance? What does Peter do between I don't want to, but I will? He goes with the word of God. He submits to the word of God. What does he say in the scripture? But if you say so, gosh, I don't know if that hits y'all like it hit me. But if you say so, if you say so, I will let the nets down once again. This is for those of you tonight that are struggling. If you're struggling or you know somebody it is, somebody that is, this is a great example of faith because faith persists in the middle of feeling. Faith that is imperfect. It's imperfect. Peter was, was filled with all of this rejection and feeling, but faith that is imperfect. Faith that, I love this part right here, faith that decides to go the way of the Lord before the catch. Gosh, before the net is drawn back into the boat, before the boat is being almost flipped upside down because there's so many fish in it, before that is ever realized, Peter trusted the word of God and went. Before for what is hope, actually came to fruition. And this faith is not without revelation. It's not a blind faith. It was at the command of Christ. It was at the word of God, the revelation of God. This is where destruction from God comes from. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, people do not live by bread alone, but by what? By every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus gave him that. He gave him instruction by God. And Peter said, if you say so, what confidence should we have in what God says. At God's word, there was light. Amen? God said, let there be light, and guess what happened? There was light. So when Jesus says, go catch fish, you go catch fish. Because if he can put a solar system up there by the power of his word, then I think he can throw a few fish in your boat. I don't know if that ever crosses his mind. I don't know if that ever crosses our mind. That the word, the Bible says that every word of God proves true. At God's word, there was healing. At God's word, there was forgiveness of sin. And God's instruction is always purposeful. It's for the glory of God, and God's glory works for our good. So the difference, or or what's between rejection and acceptance when it comes to faith, is the word of God. And when you have the word of God, then you have to decide by faith or feeling which one you'll go with. question to consider there is just, have you sought 
the word of God between your tension of faith and feeling? Have you sought the word of God between your tension of faith and feeling? Luke chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, as we'll finish out with this last point. Since Jesus is holy, that I will worship. Verse 6, in this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Verse 8, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others that were with him. His partner, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Quick interpretation there is Jesus and the catch was not so much about the fish. It was more about what God would do through Peter to catch a whole bunch of folks for the kingdom. And this was Peter's Isaiah moment. This is when he realizes that he too is unclean. He had experienced the holiness of God. Not, and listen to this part. He had not experienced in this instance the perfect character of God. He had experienced the perfect power of God, the power of God that is separate from all of the power that you know, the power of God that is above all of the power that you know and have ever experienced. He had experienced the power of God. And before what he had was an empty net and an empty future, but Jesus filled his hand and his heart. And what happened could not have happened apart from God. And when he understood he was in the presence of God, to, to God whom he had just doubted, to, to the God that he had just questioned in his heart, his response was one of shame and one of forfeit. Again, just like that of Isaiah. But what the world has to understand is the realization in the presence of God that is a humble humiliation. Y'all, that's appropriate. That's what it ought to be. Man, when we are confronted by the Scripture, when we are confronted by the Holy Spirit of our sin that grieves the heart of God, it should not be a, I'm all right, I'm forgiven. It should not be a, ah, not, not too big, not too big a deal, grace upon grace, right? It should be a wailing and crying and I'm sorry and tearing and God, you're holy and I'm not. We cannot lose that. That cannot be lost. We must teach our children that when it's your fault, it's your fault. Amen? Like practice that because that's a part of our relationship with God. We're, we're going we're to explain the faults of our children away to where they don't say we're sorry. When, we're, when it's on us, it's on us. We own it. If we don't own it before others, we won't even own it before God. God's Spirit works in the world to convict of sin. God's Spirit works in the world towards the righteousness of God. God's Spirit works in the world towards God's judgment. The Spirit of God, his role is to remind us of all those things. And here, he has the Son of God in front of him reminding him of all these things, just his very presence. To have God's Son before him, he knew in his heart 
that he was a sinner in need of a savior. Look at his response. Sometimes we overcomplicate the response, thinking that we need to say eloquent words and we, we need to know all kinds of scripture in order to be saved or there's certain things we've got to get right. Look at what Peter said. Lord, please leave me. I'm a sinful man. Is that not good? He acknowledged who Jesus is and acknowledged his sin. That separates him from Jesus. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because Isaiah said, it's all over. It's all over. I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man, filthy lips, everybody around me. He's not being a snitch. He's just speaking for everybody that they have filthy lips. Yet I've seen the Lord of heaven's armies. You are God. There's a separation between us because of sin. It's not because of you. It's because of me. That's what he's experiencing. And we do well to see this accepted responsibility because Jesus is holy. And I want you to see this because this is super important. Look there again in chapter 5. After Simon Peter had said, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. Verse 9, they were all struck by the number of fish they caught, the others with him. His partner James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. What I want you to see is, is when Simon Peter said in verse 8, please leave me, I'm such a sinful man, Jesus did not do this. He did not go, no, you're not. He didn't, did he? Not, not once did Jesus go, oh, don't say that about yourself. How come? It's the truth. But the truth will set what? Set you free. Stop telling lies to yourself. It's the truth that will set you free. The grace of God was absolutely on the table for Peter because Jesus called him to follow him. He invited this sinner who acknowledged his sin to follow him. But Jesus did not let him off the hook either. It was the same for the woman at the well. Jesus ministered to her, but he never let her off the hook. In fact, he said, oh, no, ma'am, you say you've had this. You've actually had this. I know, I'm all-knowing, right? And while there was, was no music, there was no singing, there was certainly worship. And the scripture says Peter and his partners, James and John, that would become the center circle, they were, listen to these words in the vocabulary, they were awestruck and amazed. And it says that Peter fell to his knees. Now, I don't know what worship looks like to you, but falling to your knees with a sense of awe and amazement is worship. Peter did not worship the fish that he caught. Peter did not worship the water. He did not worship the nets. He did not worship the boat. And that's why he would be able to leave them to serve the Lord. Man, that will preach right there. He followed who he worshiped. We talk a lot about what we've done. We talk a lot about what we do. We talk a lot about what we have. But none of those things deserve worship from our hearts because none of those things are holy. None of what we do, none of what we have, none of what we've done None of those things are worthy of worship. They're not set apart. They belong to all of us. You may say, well, I've been here, and I could be like, well, that's great. I've been here. You may say, well, I have this, and I could be like, well, I'm sure glad that means something to you. I have this. Yes, but I've, I've done this. I've done this for God. Oh, great. So have others. None of those things are worthy of worship. Only Jesus is worthy of worship. 
Because Jesus is holy. That means he is perfectly perfect. He is set apart in power. He is completely good. He is God, which is why Jesus, not a set of laws and not a way of thinking, is worthy not only to be worshipped, but also to be followed. He's still calling folks to follow him today. Amen? If you read through there, it says, Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Just as a final question to consider, what helps me keep the amazement and awe of God? Think about that. What helps you keep the amazement and the awe of God? I mean, write it, make, make a note in your phone. Some of you may say, well, it's this. It's, it's worship. It's being in front of his word. Some may say, every time I'm at the ocean and the water stops at a certain point. Or you may say that every time that you, you have seen a, a newborn child and life come into the world that was not here before, what is it that helps you keep your awe and your amazement? Maybe it's preaching the gospel to yourself. Maybe it's going back and remembering your own testimony, not forgetting those days when you, too, were at Best Week Ever. You were at Vacation Bible School, and God began to plant a seed in your heart that grew into a full-blown follower of Jesus that's going to bust heaven wide open, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. God is still working and we still must keep the amazement and awe. And when is the last time that you fall into your knees to acknowledge him? Are there times in your life when, when um, it's been too long? I know there's times for me. There, there, are, there are times when I get to Sunday morning and wonder if we've prayed enough. And then there are times, and I don't know if this helps you or not, there are times before I enter this sanctuary on Sunday morning and the Lord in my spirit brings me to my knees. Like, you better remember who you belong to. This thing's not about you, Hoss. Like, I get some of that, right? And there's nothing that says we have to get on our knees and keep the amazement and all, every single, I mean, like, what we're getting to is, is we cannot lose the humility of the church. We cannot lose the humility of the followers of Jesus to where we have lost the amazement and awe of God for what he's done in our life and what he continues to do to use us to draw people to himself. Amen and amen. 7.30 on the dot. Let's go. All right. For some of you, we'll continue this sermon series uh, that, that works through our best week ever material and prepares our heart for best week ever as we're looking towards uh, the summer. And um, very thankful for this series. It's already meant a lot to me even in the study. Let me pray for us. We'll be dismissed uh, towards Sunday. Lord, thank you for your word. What a word, Lord, as your scripture just jumps off the page into our hearts. Lord, I pray that if there are those tonight between faith and feeling, that your word would be seen in between. God, that we too, with our hearts, would acknowledge you as master and even move on the words of, but if you say so. Lord, that we would submit and worship you, O God, that we would see that you are the only object of our faith and that you are only worthy of following and worshiping. God, as we learn through the scripture, I pray, O Lord, that you, we would be amazed and awestruck that you continue to pursue us and draw our attention to your holy character and 
your holiness, your standard, your character changes everything about who we are because that's who you are and we belong to you. God, would you bless tonight here forward, Lord, would you bless the efforts of Best Week Ever, Lord, would you bless the efforts of this church to serve, would you raise up volunteers to meet the needs so that your word that we have heard tonight will continue to go out and, Lord, that it would be in the hearts of those who receive it, especially those children. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for being here tonight. Y'all have a great evening.